Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. It's a new year, and it means raises for workers in almost half of America. Today, on the show, the president of the Mine Workers Union and the general president of Labor's International. Welcome to the Monday, January 1st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests today. And I'll tell you, I got one guy I've been chasing for a long time, and that would be Cecil Roberts. He'll be joining us in a few minutes. Cecil Roberts Jr. is his name. He's a sixth-generation coal miner, one of the labor movement's most stirring and sought-after orators. He became president of the Mine Workers October 22nd, back in 1995. He served as vice president of the Mine Workers Union since December of 1982. In fact, he succeeded the late Richard Trumka, who went on to become Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO and then President of the AFL-CIO. Lots to talk about with Cecil. First thing we're going to get into is uh, the two-year strike and lockout, pretty much, at the Warrior Met. That was a really ugly situation. And we're also going to talk about silica dust. I learned a whole lot about silica dust because of Cecil Roberts. And a lot of young miners are being affected by that today. UMWA.org is the national website, UMWA.org. Here's a guy that uh, served in the Vietnam War, got into the coal mines, and rose to the ranks of the presidency of the Mine Workers Union and doing one heck of a job. Later in the show, we are going to replay an interview that I did with Brent Booker. Brent is the general president of Labor's International, the presenting sponsor of America's Workforce. He took over that seat on May 1st of last year. He became the 11th general president of LIUNA, LIUNA LIUNA.org, following uh, Terry O'Sullivan. Brent is the son and grandson of LIUNA leaders. Growing up, he said he saw the difference that union membership made in people's lives, often lifting entire families out of poverty and into the middle class. We'll talk about all of that, and we'll talk about the transition from Terry O'Sullivan to Brent Booker. And Terry laid one heck of a groundwork there. He really, really did. Terry was there for well over two decades, garnered a whole lot of respect by not just LIUNA members, but all of labor, especially in the AFL-CIO. I mentioned last week, too, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, paid tribute to him on the Senate floor. How many people get accolades like that? But uh, Brent Booker's doing a great job, and, well, we'll, uh, well, you'll hear that interview that we aired several months ago right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, and equity investment options to clients from coast to coast. Minimum wage workers in 22 states, that's a lot of states, are seeing more money in their paycheck starting today. Those increases will affect an estimated 9.9 million workers. This is according to the Economic Policy Institute, which estimates that those bumped wages will add up to an additional $3.5 
$6.95 billion in pay. Now, in addition to those 22 states, 38 cities and counties are also increasing their minimum wages above state minimums today. According to the Department of Labor, 20 states will maintain the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. That, that's atrocious. That's atrocious. 20 states, and you know most of them are in the South. According to the EPI, of the 17.6 million workers earning less than $15 an hour, about half live in those 20 states that continue to stick to the federal minimum wage, which has not changed, by the way, since 2009. Cost of living, well, that's skyrocketed. But the good news is, because of legislation, because of inflation-adjusted programs, we're seeing wages go up today in 22 states. Good news there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Cecil Roberts, president of the United Mine Workers, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steel Workers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number one and welcome a newcomer to the show. I think you know the name. This guy's a fighter, a sixth-generation coal miner, one of the labor movement's most stirring and sought-after union leaders. I'm talking about Cecil Roberts who's been president of the United Mine Workers since 1995. He was elected vice president in December of 1982. Comes out of Vietnam, works in the coal mines, and just worked his way up to the top. Cecil Roberts, it is an honor to have you on America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? We're doing well, and thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm sorry we've missed each other over the past few years, but thank you. Well, you know what? Let's be honest. I was trying to track you down 
during the Warrior Mets strike and uh, or lockout, whatever that was. I mean, it was brutal and it went on for almost two years. But uh, I know you did your best there. And I mean, what, there were many, many protests and we covered it extensively here on America's Workforce. And, and, and if you don't mind, uh, is there anything new to add to that? I mean, they weren't getting anywhere. And we talked about that a lot because... Here's here's uh, here's what happened. This is what happened in all over America. You got these Wall Street hedge funds that buy up companies. They know nothing about the business. All they care about is making money. I mean, greed wins in all of these battles here. But uh, anything you knew that you could add to that right now, sir? Well, we still have this uh, decision that was rendered by the National Labor Relations Board, and I think this is something all of labor should be thinking about here as we move forward, because this could be the case for everybody that faces something like this. So you take on a company that's got more money than you could ever imagine, backed by Wall Street investors that has more money than the United States government, and the state police and the governor and two sheriff's departments. And, you you know, I guess it's about an even fight when you get all that up on the table. But the National Labor Relations Board is on our side, supposedly. But before the strike started, we realized this company wasn't really trying to get a collective bargaining agreement. They were just stalling. And remember, five years earlier, the workers had given up a billion dollars in concessions to help get this new company started, supposedly. And the new company, obviously, with these folks from Wall Street in a, wearing a mask, uh, calling themselves something else. But in order to retain their jobs, our, our members' jobs, and in order to uh, hopefully have a future down there and keep the union there, by the way, a lot of people don't realize in bankruptcy court, the union can go away very easily, and the workers can be fired. They don't call it fired. They just say, you're not working here anymore. But we were able to keep the people working and keep the union there with the promise that five years later we'd restore these benefits and wages, and that was a lie. And then we get to the end of the contract, and we start bargaining with this group. And at the end of the day, we couldn't reach an agreement before expiration. And we filed unfair labor practices for their failure to bargain in good faith. And unfortunately, we struck two years and never had a decision from the National Labor Relations Board Administrative Law Judge until we decided we needed to put people back to work because so many of our members had given up the strike and left. And you can imagine being on strike two years, even though we were paying enormous amounts of money and weekly benefits to the strikers. Uh, anywhere from 400 to $500 a week, depending on their participation. And providing them with health care, we invested $35 million of our money in this strike. And we never received a decision back from the administrative law judge, even though we filed these charges before we ever went on strike, until we made the offer to go back to work. So we're two years in, and we get a decision saying this company had not bargained in good faith. Now the question becomes, uh, what do you do with that? And generally, generally in court of law, you'd be rewarded payments or something, or somebody go to jail or whatever. We're sitting here asking the National Labor Relations Board, well, what do we get out of this? Don't the workers get some money here, benefits? Doesn't the strike fund get uh, 
uh, money back that we paid out when we've already determined the board has, not the board, but the administrative law judges determined that these people violated the law. We're sitting here waiting on some answer to that. It looks like all we're going to get out of this is some kind of an order saying they got to go back to the table and bargain in good faith. That chance of that, we need some teeth in what goes on at the National Labor Relations Board and at, uh, with the laws that are in place. Plus, we need labor law reform. And I'm one of these somewhat radical people that go all the way back to 1947. And uh, let me just say what one of my predecessors said about Taft-Hartley, and that predecessor was John L. Lewis. This is the first ugly thrust of fascism in America. In America. And guess what? It was and it is, and we've been living with this ever since. We had a brief period of time, as you know, from 1935 to 1947, when we actually had a right to bargain in this country, a right to organize in this country. We lost that in 47, been trying to restore what we had in 35 ever since, and we're nowhere near that. We got all these right to work laws that stem from that. But right now, I believe that I believe that adjustments could be made internally and deal with this problem of when a company just says, well, we're going to break the union. We're not going to broadcast that, but that's what we're doing here. Either let us keep all these concessions and workers never get their billion dollars and benefits back, or uh, the union's got to go away, and, and we're going to have a lot of help doing that from Wall Street. We're going to have a lot of help doing that from the state police and the uh, county sheriffs from two different counties and the governor's office. And, uh, and by the way, by the, way the, the state judge down there who actually issued an injunction that said we couldn't be within 900 of an entrance to Warrior Mets property. Now, those are some rules that are hard to, to win. We have to have a victory, quite frankly. Yeah. And you have all that against you. But we're, the last thing to happen in this is after we uh, asked people to go back to work, we finally got a decision, but that was after the fact. And now we're sitting here with this decision we've had now for, I guess, a few months. And where's the teeth of the decision? So. That's, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much where we are with this. And, and how are the workers handling this night right now, Cecil? Well, well, let me let me tell you what's happened here. As you might guess, we have two other union mines in Alabama, and as time went on, more and more of the strikers went to these one of these two companies and asked to be hired, and they were, and we encouraged that. There's no good reason for people who could be making seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars a year to stay on strike. When uh, strike breakers, by the way, were brought in from all over the country, we had strike breakers from from Utah, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Tennessee, and West Virginia. So it's kind of ironic when you think about it. Uh, you had the uh, government in Alabama escorting people from out of state across the picket line to take the jobs of people in Alabama. But what happened here is attrition got the better of us. As time went on, and people's bills mounted up, and these strike breakers being escorted in and out of the property by the government itself, uh, they found jobs elsewhere. Many of them found jobs in these two union mines and that were still operating in Alabama. And we've got about a couple hundred of people who withstood all of this 
and went back to work when we asked him to. So, and <laughs> it, it, this is not a coincidence. As soon as we sent people back to work, there was an effort to decertify the union there, led by the company, of course, but they they denied any involvement in this, and that's all BS, as you could guess. And that's not going anywhere right now because the charges are, and the complaint happens to be with preventing that from going forward. So it's a legal fight that any of us could find ourselves in until we get some fairness and some labor law reform and some stronger decisions back from administrative law judges who look at these situations and realize what it is. But even ruling in the union's favor, uh, it sometimes doesn't give you what you need to protect workers. No, no. And, and while that strike went on, the price of coal goes up and the company, Warrior Met, made even more money. I mean, that's the crazy the price thing about of, this. The price of coal went up to $500 a ton, and this is all being shipped overseas, by the way, and because we don't make steel, or we make steel in this country, but not like we used to. Just we right. import steel that used to be made, produced here in the United States, so we ship the metallurgical coal out of the country, and there was such a demand that, the, that during the time of this strike, uh, that price shot through the roof. I've never seen prices like this, and neither has anyone else, whether they're on the uh, union side of these, uh, uh, the economics or on the company side. No one's ever seen prices go up like that. Cecil Roberts joining us on our live line, president of the United Mine Workers. UMWA.org is a national website. We'll continue with him. We have to talk about the plight of workers and the safety of workers and what they are breathing. That story next, back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. 
SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity... Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Cecil Roberts, sixth-generation coal miner, president of the United Mine Workers. He's had that position since uh, 1995. Uh, is it right that uh, w- when uh, Trumpka left the miners' union, you took over? Uh, and and I know he comes from the miners' union. Is that right? That's correct. He and I, of course, very good friends, and we ran together in 1982. He's president, vice president. John Vanovic ran as secretary treasurer, and we unseated an incumbent uh, president and his team, which is pretty much unheard of in these times. And uh, and by the way, we have a different way of holding elections than in, in most unions. We do not elect people at our convention. You've got to convince the local unions throughout the country and in Canada, and first of all, in a nominating process, and you've got to get 20% of the locals to support you, and then you stand for election uh, with uh, before everyone else. We've been, I say we, my team, I've been very fortunate. We, uh, we haven't had opposition since I took over, and we've always won the elections into the, in the nominating process. No one's ever tried to actually run against us. Which yeah, we've was, had uh, Rich on the show a number of times, and he always talked about uh, coming from the, the miners' union. He had uh, some fond memories there, and I know he did a lot of work, and uh, he had a lot of respect for you and all the people in the miners' union. And that goes along with Bill Samuel. Bill Samuel, you probably know him, government affairs director. Oh, yeah, he, he came yeah. out of the mine workers, too. Yeah, 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 he worked with Rich, and he's a regular on our show. Maybe maybe you'll be oh, a regular really? here. Next time he's <laughs> yeah. on, tell him I say hello. I will do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we we're trying to get all unions on this. Show. I mean, and we're we're making this. Uh, I have to tell you, this show exploded. It really has. At the beginning of 2023, we were like at 15 to 20 percent of all podcasts, and now we're in the top one percent. Uh, there's a lot of people wow. that want to hear the working side, the the work. You know, the the stories of the miners, the stories of those in the steel industry. The stories of the Teamsters, uh, the UAW, you name it. I mean, these are workers' stories. We want to hear from the people that have rank in the unions because they're close to the membership and they know what's going on in the field. And we know what's going on in America with the, with these Wall Street hedge funds. They've hollowed out the middle class. They really have over the years. I mean, I come from the broadcasting industry. I saw that happen when they consolidated all the broadcasters. And, you know, what used to be 200 people in a in a group is now down to maybe 20 and technology has a lot to do with that as well hey i'm getting off on a tangent here i want to talk about the miners and what's going on with this uh, silica dust which is i and it's affecting a lot of young miners and i understand i, I guess the government 
has been looking into this, and there's been some uh, some movement in the right direction here. But uh, Cecil, I'm going to let you pick it up from there. What what's happening in the fields right now? Let me lay somewhat of a foundation for the conversation. Most people may not know this, but it wasn't until 1969 that our government recognized pneumoconiosis, or what's most commonly referred to as black lung, as an occupational illness. And there was no such thing as compensation for having black lung. Back in the early days, coal miners knew something was wrong because it wasn't unusual at all for a coal miner to die in his early 50s, back in, in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Now, what we're dealing with now is a new form of uh, black lung. When I say a new form, there's been this, what they call, progressive massive fibrosis. Now, that's a medical term, but let's set that aside for a moment. With the decline in the coal industry and the length of time we've been mining coal in the United States of America has led to this problem. This problem exists primarily in eastern Kentucky, southern West Virginia, and southwestern Virginia. You can draw the circle probably 7,500 miles around there, and that you will find the most cases with this advanced form of black lung. When you uh, contract what they call progressive massive fibrosis, we're going to set that outside for a second. We don't need the medical term any longer. You may not live any longer than three to five years. There's no cure for this except a lung transplant. Once this silica that comes from dust from rock as opposed to coal, the coal seams are thinner now because a lot of the good coal in those three areas identified has already been mined. And if you're mining coal in those areas right now, you're mining in some very thin seams. Low coal have to take rock above that in order to get extract the coal. When a machine cuts into that rock, it creates rock dust that has silica in it. And these miners have been inhaling this silica. Now, this is not something that people were unaware of. Remember that. I testified in 2019 in the United States Congress about this. And Congress was aware of this well before I testified in 2019. The medical community that works with coal miners and with black lung and all of the activists out there in the black lung associations that we have throughout the country and the union in those areas, we have been raising this issue for years now. When 35 and 40-year-old men can't work anymore because their lungs are destroyed, I don't, there was a CBS uh, uh, segment on this on Sunday morning. And they had, I think the miner was 35, and his lungs were just destroyed. And he had what he said was advanced stages of black lung, which is true. It goes along with the medical term I just used a couple of times. And he is, he is facing uh, perhaps dying from this if, he is, if they don't find a lung for him because there's no cure for this. And by the way, 
the cost of a lung transplant here is going to approach somewhere around a million dollars. So you can see what the problem is here. It's terrible expense to try to save someone's life. There's very little can be done other than make this matter uh, comfortable. And you can still walk around, but you can't do any kind of uh, activity that would require you to have your uh, heart rate go up, move around like we may be walking up steps. So more and more miners have been contracting this, and we finally, finally uh, were able to convince MSHA, which is the Mine Health and Safety Administration, to promulgate a rule that would deal with this silico problem. And by the way, the rest of the, the country has a silica standard. And what we basically were just asking for is the same kind of a standard for people who are working in a more dusty area, contracting a more dangerous type of black lung, and dying at very alarming high rates from this. And we finally get the rule promulgated. But guess what? There are actually people <laughs> in Congress who are saying we don't want the IMSHA to be... Uh, Putting this rule in place, so we're going to, we're actually going to propose amending this this rule to say that funding cannot be used in order to correct this problem with silica, and that's what's happened recently in our United States Congress, and probably within the last month. And for the life of me, I cannot understand how any member of Congress can say. Well, we don't want to save anybody's life here. No, we do want to save the coal companies some money. So we're going to stand up for the coal company's money as, as opposed to the coal miner's life. But just remember, it was 1969 before this country even ever came to grips with this. And the reason for that was the power of the coal companies, the power of their lobbyists up on Capitol Hill. It shouldn't be shocking, I assume, that people would be uh, brave enough, brazen enough might be the better word, to stand up in a house of Congress and say, we don't want to fund this new rule, and we want to prevent IMSHA from implementing this rule. It just it, it just amazes me that we still have these type of folks in Congress. Now, is this going to, uh, is this going to be successful, this effort to stop coal miners uh, uh, from having uh, a safe place to work, a healthy place to work? I doubt it, but it's going to prolong it. And every day that mm-hmm. goes by, there's a 30-year-old coal miner sucking this dust down in their lungs, and, and, and it's going to get sick from it and going to die from it before the age of 45. And for those of you who are listening, we're not talking about coal dust here. The, this is the rock that they're drilling through. That's where the silica dust is coming coming from. Cecil, I have to ask you, is there any protective gear on the market that can help the miners out on this? I mean, that sounds like a common sense thing. Isn't that being utilized right now, now that they know what's yeah. going on? There are. There are. Like uh, dust, uh, dust masks that you can wear and things of that nature, but you're not going to prevent. Uh, do you even prevent coal dust? I believe I used to wear a mask all the time uh, when I was running a shuttle car. Uh, so, so I'm not a guy that's never been in a coal mine. I've been five and a half years in a coal mine. But uh, with respect to this silica, it's a hard 
thing to deal with. Now, they also have uh, devices like helmets you can put on, but let, let me speak to that for a second. If you're in, remember, this is in low cold scenes. That means that you're, you can't stand up in most of them, right? And you're bent way over trying to get from one place to another. It's almost impossible to wear one of those helmets in mine cold. I mean, it's, it creates another type of danger walking around, looking and being able to see what's going on around you. Actually, you're kind of down to a narrow, uh, probably a, a, a device that was created maybe 50 years ago, dust mask, and uh, it twitched tightly around your face. But keeping out silica, it, there's no guarantees here. You're, you can wear one of those all day, in my opinion every minute that you're underground and you can still contract this illness. So, so Cecil right now to cut to the chase, minors are suffocating and die and they're young too. You mentioned somebody that was 35 years of age yeah, and that was just the, on Saturday morning and, and, and Saturday the people in Congress and the people in Congress really don't seem to care at least some of them, and they're, they're, them they're stopping and funding. I, I don't know how many congressmen or women we have that would t- that's taken this position, but we know some have because it's already been raised by a person named Scott Perry out of Pennsylvania. And what has he said about it? No, he's, he, he's the one that wants to amend the, the, uh, the funding for MSHA to prohibit them to use any money in order to implement this standard. Okay. Scott Perry, Republican out of Pennsylvania. So what 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 are you doing right now? Obviously, you got a lot of members here. I mean, what, and what do we need to do here on America's Workforce to get this point across to Mr. Perry? Well, let me let me tell you how we we also this might be hard for people to believe, but we never had a law in the United States with respect to the health and safety of coal miners. We never had a law about. Uh, how much rip support you had to have, how, how much air you had to have. We never lulled this that, that's dealt with uh, gases in the mines uh, until 1969. We wouldn't have it then. It had not been for an explosion that took place near, that, near Fairmont, West Virginia, in Marion County, when uh, 78 miners uh, lost their lives in 1968 in the blank of an eye when a terrible explosion took place there. And the only reason that was able to, we were able to do something about this then, we'd had a lot worse accidents in the past. We, thinking about to, back to 1906, 200, excuse me, 361 coal miners died in the blank of an eye. And this country didn't do anything about it. Explosion after explosion down through the years, killing hundreds and hundreds of miners at a time. Nothing ever happened. But because of television, we were able to, when I say we, pressure was placed on Congress to do something about this because people in California watched this on television. People in New York watched this on television. Now, what can we do to help? We have a similar situation here through your good efforts here to want to know what's going on. And your listeners should be involved in this. Every listener you have, in my opinion, wants all workers to return home safely. When I say yep. safely, uninjured, uh, to work site, right? We also don't want people walking home, they're coming home every night or every day that's inhaled 
something that's going to eventually kill them. We know in this country people die from cancer, they contract it at the workplace, they have white lung, brown lung, black lung. There are so many people that die every single year. I chaired a health and safety committee at the AFL-CIO, and the number of people who die every year from illnesses that they've contracted on the work, at the work site. Now, some of these workers, they die when they retire. Some of them get sick while they're working. But the real uh, issue here is dying from something that happened. You contracted at the workplace, and that shouldn't be the case in the United States. So if you want to, people want to be helpful, whoever your congressman is, whoever your congresswoman is, whoever your senator is, every one of them, I don't care if Republicans, Democrats, liberals, or conservatives, and anybody in between, we should stand in this country for a safe working place for, for people. My goodness, look where we are, what year this is. This is... A, not, this is not 1860 when we first started mining coal in the United States. And we can cure this problem by simply requiring a, a, a dust standard that deals with silica so that miners will not be exposed to us. And so what that means is the coal companies have to make sure that silica is at a safe level for workers to be working in that environment. And so it's up to the companies to control this. And and if they do not, there's got to be a penalty imposed on them. One of the problems with the rule, and we, we've commented on this to MSHA, we can no longer allow coal companies to police themselves here. Now, when MSHA comes into the mine and finds something wrong, they can shut the mine down. And they can find the company. And in some instances, if it's bad enough, people could be fined enormous amounts of money. But... In, in between visits by MSHA, the coal companies are in charge. But most coal companies, to be fair here, comply with the law because they don't want their miners to die because they're heavily invested in that. Right. But some companies, all they're looking for is how much coal they get out today. They're not worrying about tomorrow, and they're not worrying about workers' health. And every time there's a new rule or a new law, you hear the same thing. Oh, it's going to put us out of business. That's what you always hear. And it never right. has. And all you have to do is look from 1969, after the law was passed, a lot more miners alive today than they would have been without that law. So what we can do here, there is a team we can put together here. I don't care where you live. You can be for these coal miners being healthy after a day's work, after a year's work, after 10 years' work. And you don't want miners dying in this country at 48, 40 years old and sometimes younger. And join, join with the rest of us here. We have black lung clinics throughout the coal fields. We have black lung organizations consisting of people who worked in the mines and have contracted this disease. We have people who support us on this. Uh, Joe Manchin himself has, has stood up for this the funding of the black lung program uh, in the, in the uh, legislation that was passed a couple years ago. Uh, and uh, we can be, there's an old group of unions on which side are you on? Which side are you on? By the way, that was written by a coal miner's way. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, let's let's stand together and say, well, so which side are we on? And, and, and I'm actually making an appeal here. Talk to your congressman. He may already be in, uh, help, in agreement with this, or she might be in agreement with this. But make sure the pressure is put on those who are in Congress today saying, let's not fund protection for coal miners. Go up to your politician and ask him or her 
What side are you on? Worker side? A lot of things lead to politics. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Cecil, we could talk for hours. God bless you, man. I, I just love talking to you. We have to do this more often throughout oh, 2024. And, and, and you are you are one fighter for your workers. There's no question. So you take care. Stay in touch. We're going to hit this pretty hard here on America's Workforce. Go to the national website, umwa.org, umwa.org. Cecil Roberts, general president since 1995, got in the coal mines right after Vietnam in the 1970s. You stay safe, okay, brother? Thank you for the opportunity. Cecil Roberts, president of the United Mine Workers Union. Again, that website, umwa.org. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him in the months and years ahead. All right, we're going to take a quick break. General President of Labor's International, Brent Booker, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBalletSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. On May 1st, Brent Booker became the 11th General President of Labor's International. This followed the retirement of former General President Terry O'Sullivan. At the end of July last year, I had an opportunity on this show to talk to Brent about his new position. 
And this is what we talked about. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. I'm excited to announce we have on line number two, Mr. Brent Booker, who is the new general president of our presenting sponsor, and that would be Labor's International Union of North America, liuna.org. We feel the power here each and every day. Mr. Booker, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my union brother? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. We should point out that Brent became the 11th general president of Labor's International. That was on May 1st, and uh, we talked to Terry O'Sullivan just days before he uh, kind of pretty much uh, passed the torch over to you. How has that transition been going, Mr. Booker? It's been great. Uh, I, I, I came back to Layuna in January of this year and, and literally spent uh, day in and day out with Terry. And, and the transition that I had to set us up and set me up uh, is, is very much appreciated. You know, Terry and I went through, and I've, I've known him almost my whole life, and we went through, you know, how to run a union. And, and there is no manual on how to be a general president. So uh, having his guidance, having his support, uh, having his leadership as, as I transitioned in is, is uh, uh, got me off the ground, up and running uh, a lot quicker than I would have been had it just been uh, me walking into this office all by myself. So the transition's been going great, uh, but there's still there's there's lots of work to do, a lot to learn for me. He was in this chair for uh, almost 24 years, so uh, I'm in it for almost three months. So uh, I got a lot I got a lot of runway in front of me. And I'll tell you, you got a lot of experience, too. Brent has served as Secretary-Treasurer of Helmets to Hard Hats. He was also Secretary-Treasurer of the North American Building Trades Unions. He had that from uh, 2012 to 2022. And also, you got Lyuna in your blood. Why, why don't you talk to, talk to us about uh, your, uh, your relatives here from, uh, from Lyuna? Can you, can you give us some examples of, uh, of your family here? Absolutely. My, my grandfather started a uh, chartered a local union in, in the 1940s, early 1950s, uh, and worked as business manager through the mid-70s. And then my father uh, followed in his father's footsteps and, and started out as a field agent in, in my home local 795 in New Albany, Indiana, and moved out to Washington, D.C., and, and I grew up in the D.C. area. Uh, so I got to see my dad work at headquarters from, from the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and he rose to general secretary treasurer of this organization. And I went to college and, uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to be and got a phone call and said, Hey, why don't you come back and, uh, and, and work at headquarters, work at laborers. And, um, and, and I started in, in early two thousands in the construction department here, uh, at Leona headquarters. Well, Brent, as you know, it is a good time to uh, be involved in a union and to grow unions. I want to talk about growing Lyuna. You've got a pretty big uh, base, but I know you want to increase that base. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened in uh, the state of Pennsylvania about, what was it, about a month or six weeks ago, I-95, and how everybody came together in such a short, actually a record amount of time. You... As general president, got to be pretty proud of your brothers and sisters who responded to that. Can you uh, can you share your passion for what happened over there? So early June, a uh, oil tanker coming down 95 got off the exit ramp, came out at its speed and and uh, crashed into the underpass of 95, um, mm-hmm. caused an explosion, um, causing the bridge to collapse, uh, and. 
the initial estimate that they put the fire out, you know, was it was going to be two or three months that 95 was going to be shut down that would severely impact, you know, our ability to move goods uh, and services up and down the East Coast. And a team of the Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, uh, Labor's International Union of North America, our local unions and district councils in the Philadelphia region, the mayor of Philadelphia, the secretary of transportation and, and the state of Pennsylvania put their heads together and said, came up with the plan. And, and like I said, the early estimates were two to three months to get that bridge back up and running. And 12 days later, uh, a temporary structure was put in place. There were six lanes of traffic, uh, you know, moving goods and services again up and down this important quarter of the, of, of, of the East Coast. So it's, it's an incredible moment for us, you know, for the men and women uh, of our local unions in the Philadelphia area for our Philadelphia District Council um, to look at and celebrate the work they did. And, and, and to the point that about two weeks ago, I went up there and uh, we hosted a reception um, for all of the building trades members um, that the governor showed up, the, the mayor showed up and, and our leadership. And mo- most importantly, our members and their families who worked on that project showed up so we could celebrate them, so we could thank them um, and we could show how proud we are of the work that they did and how important that they are. They're first responders, you know, yeah. and, and, and they, they were out there and they, they, they did a tremendous job. And, and sadly, a lot of that didn't make the news. The accident made the news. The accident made the news. But, you know, it, sh- it shows like this that we have to salute the people that responded. And like you said, in lightning speed, 12 days, and they, they come up with a temporary plan over there. That just doesn't happen. And, and it would not be able to happen if you didn't have skilled laborers getting involved in that, bringing all the parties together and making it happen. And where, where government and the workers actually got together and got things done ahead of time. That's good stuff. Good stuff there. So let's talk about um, growing the union. And you know right now with, with Biden in the White House, I mean, the policies have been extraordinary here, especially with the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. And I know right now all unions are, well, apprenticeship programs are on fire right now. Uh, what do you see, and and how do you how do you plan to grow Lyuna's membership? I mean, this this is it does you're you're very strong right now, but you gotta you want to make them stronger. What's the game plan here, Brent? Yeah, I mean, and 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 you have my messaging down pat, right? Uh, we have a I, I've inherited a, an incredible foundation, incredible union, um, and we're five hundred thousand members strong, and and I'm you know I, it's an awesome responsibility for me for our new team. Um, to maintain what we have, but we can't be satisfied with what we have. Um, and we do have to grow this union. And, and, and we invest in organizing like no other union in the world. And, and we are going to continue that investment in our organizing um, and continue to work to, uh, you know, get pro-union politicians elected in office. And, and you look what this Biden-Harris administration has done. You, you reference infrastructure, and, and that's great. $1.2 trillion over the next decade in infrastructure to bring our country up in uh, roads, bridges, tunnels, waterway, uh, you know, waterworks and, and broadband and, and other industries. You know, and they weren't done with that. They, they then, you know, went around to uh, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. And, and, and as our country is transitioning um, from fossil fuels into renewables, this administration saw, uh, you know, the, 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 what we see. The, the, these jobs have to be union jobs. They have to be good jobs. Uh, and they have to be uh, have union protections, prevailing wage protections, apprenticeship right. protections. Um, so using this, you know, as we transition in, 
uh, into you know renewable energies. We're gonna we're gonna be able to grow our union in, in solar projects, offshore wind projects, wind projects as, as we continue to maintain our current energy infrastructure. Um, and and then the next thing that they did, you know, was the Chips and Science Bill. And through COVID, we saw that you know our ability. And if you remember, you know, we wouldn't weren't able to buy new cars, um, any electronics. Uh, we, we really struggled as a, as a country and as a, as a world that as these chips and manufacturing plants across the globe were shut down because of COVID, the Biden-Harris administration saw that there was a need to bring that manufacturing back um, within the United States and, and pass this bill that's going to create tens of thousands of jobs um, for Layuna members, for other members of the building trade in, in, in places like Ohio and New York and Idaho with Intel and Micron and others. Uh, that are good union jobs, prevailing wage jobs, jobs that require apprenticeship. So mm-hmm. it's a long-winded way of saying as we continue our, our current membership, you know, these opportunities have been created for us through infrastructure, through renewables, and, and through the Chips and Science Bill. We have to grow because there are these jobs opportunities are going to be out there, and, and we're going to meet that demand, and we're going to continue organizing. We're going to continue partnering um, with our signatory contractors and sign new contractors. So, Brent, you mentioned the current administration. I take it you have already endorsed uh, Biden-Harris for 2024 then? We endorsed Biden-Harris for 2024. Uh, It it was a no-brainer for us. They have been and are the most pro-union, pro-Layuna member administration, certainly in my lifetime. Um, And and I just went through some of the examples of of why we did it and how easy it, it was for us to make that decision. Um, and, 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 you know, the jobs that they have created for, for our current members, our future members, our current contractors, our future contractors, uh, made it an easy decision um, to endorse them. You know, Joe Biden has had our backs, and, and we're going to show over the next two years that we have his backs and get him reelected. There you go, brother. I love it. Brent Booker, General President of LIUNA. That's the Labor's International Union of North America. LIUNA.org is the website. Feel the power. Keep that power moving. You can also follow Brent on uh, Twitter, which uh, I don't know how long that company is going to be around. but <laughs> things, <laughs> things have changed over there. Just just put GP Brent Booker. Brent, you're always welcome here on America's Workforce, and thank you for uh, being our presenting sponsor for so many years. Okay, brother? You got it. I appreciate the opportunity. We'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Brent Booker, General President of Labor's International, presenting sponsor of America's Workforce. That segment was aired at the end of July last year. Well, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the latest from the North Coast Labor Federation and the United Associations Division of Education and Training. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.